Well, as you're seated, if you came in today and you noticed out there, there was uh, these little worship guides. Uh, they're there for you to take. Please take them. And I encourage you as you do that to uh, to do this today. Take it and tear it apart. There's a little section in there. If you didn't grab one of those, then that's fine. There's options in, in your seat back pocket in front of you. There's a place where you can grab a card that has all the similar information. Let us know how we can pray for you. We do take prayer seriously. In fact, we have a group. I didn't mention this in the first gathering. I want to mention it today. Dave Penner is heading up a new prayer partner ministry. So our pastors pray for these, but we want to pray together as a church. And so he's heading that up. And so we want to get that started. So load them up with prayer needs. What's going on in your life? How can we pray for you? Maybe you want to be a part of that prayer team. This is not something that you have to have some some theological degree and you have to have a relationship with Jesus and want to talk to him. And that's what it takes to pray. So let us know your prayer needs. But also take this other side and on the back of it, there's a place for notes. I want you to take that if you have it. If you have a note journal or with you or whatever, take a, take something out. And I want you to just draw a horizontal line from one side, about a third way down the page, just draw a horizontal line. That line, I want to say, is your life. I want to talk about your life for a few moments. You'll notice that line has a beginning and an ending. I don't know when, you know when, your life began, but none of us, unless we take matters into our own hands, know when our life's going to end. And I don't want to be morbid here. I just want to talk about that line. That line's important. That line represents your life, whether it be multiple decades, whether it be a century, if you are blessed to live to to be that old, whatever it is, what happens on that line between the beginning of that line and the end of that line is beautiful and powerful and difficult and, and, and troubling at times. And so I want you to think about that line. Then I want you to think about above that line and I want you to think about below that line. I want you to think about maybe 10 notches above that line is the positives of your life. Okay, those positive experiences, those life experiences. And then I want you to think about 10 notches below that line in a negative format. What has been the line of your life as you think about it in not only its length, but also its depth and its height? What is your story? What has been going on in your life? And maybe that below the line, you have certain seasons that you've gone through. Maybe it's relationships that worked or didn't work. Maybe it's jobs that you had that worked or didn't work. Maybe it's places you've lived. Maybe it's health. Maybe you're struggling with health issues right now. And you might put that a few notches below the line, or you might, if you've lost a loved one in the past year, maybe to COVID or something else, you might put that, that you're in a season of darkness. Wherever you find yourself and whatever season you're finding yourself in right now, now I want you to go back and chart out your life. This is an all-week exercise. You're not just going to do this in a few moments of us sitting here together, okay? But you're going to think about epic, chapter-changing moments of your life. And maybe, maybe they do align around seasons and decades and, 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 and children in the home or children outside the home or jobs or, again, relationships you're going to put these different pinpoints of your life, and I want you to chart them out. But what I'm going to talk about in this series of messages that we're kicking off today is not so much about the things above the line, those, those positives. I love the positives. I wish all of my life was above the line. 
But I can truly, honestly tell you that not all my life has been above the line. Some of my life has been, and a good number of times, has been below the line. In fact, deep below the line. There have been times that when I look back at certain seasons of my life, that that it was so far below the line, I thought, I've got to go off this chart. When you think about the below the line part of your life, how do you reconcile that? How do you make it through those seasons? For some of you, you're in that season right now. As you're below that line and as you're trying to navigate that, uh, that, that circumstance or situation, and, and maybe you're there and you're just, you're not that far below the line, but you're just enough below the line that you go, you know what, I'm, I'm pretty discontent with life. I don't like this. I don't like that. I'm not fulfilled in wherever I'm at. Maybe you're a notch or two below the line. Think about that. Because how you navigate the below the line is probably more important than how you navigate that that's above the line. Sometimes we bring on. Sometimes it happens to us. There's different things that happen to us. In fact, when you think about the pain of life, I'm just going to call it pain. Sometimes pain happens to us. We didn't ask for it. We didn't stir it up. It happened to us. In those situations, we kind of feel like we're the victim. And then there are times that we bring it on ourselves. We actually make decisions poorly. We, we make choices that actually create these dumpster fires in our world. And we go, man, why? I'm not going to do that again. And then you find out a few months, years later, you do it again. And you get even worse results. So as we're talking about this, I want to talk about this in the light of breaking free. Because here's what I have found is that there becomes a cycle with some people that they literally live below the line to get their head above the line, to go back below the line, to go above the line. And it's like they live in cycles of brokenness. And we need to break free from that. And we're going to look at the life of, of, of a person, and we're going to get to see a lot of his life. And we're going to see that he had some times above the line, and he had some times below the line. And we're going to get to kind of look at that and learn from this guy. His name is Joseph. So, in fact, if you looked at Joseph's story, you might look at it something like this. He starts out in a very wealthy family. He could have been born in northwest Arkansas. He was born in prosperity. His family had a family business. It was an agricultural business. He had, he had agri-business. He also had uh, livestock. So he, had, he was diversified in his portfolio, if you will. His family was diversified in how they, they made their wealth. In fact, it was a, a big enough family business that all 12 brothers worked in the family business. So now all 12 brothers worked in the family business and their children worked in the family business. So it was a sizable business. And he was born, he's one of the youngest of all of them, Joseph, and he is born into this prosperity. But we're going to see that in a very short time of just chapter 37, where we'll be today, that he will quickly find himself in a pit. He didn't put himself in the pit. The pit happened to him. He wasn't looking for a pit. He wasn't making bad choices. He was doing what was right and good. And because we become victims to the below the line at times, the pain of life at times, he finds himself in the pit. But the beautiful thing is, is he gets out of the pit and he ends up in a palace. To only find himself in a prison, to only find himself as a prince, to only find himself 
re-engaging his family. Spoiler alert, he's going to be separated from his family for years. He's going to have moved to another country. They're going to be back in this country. They're living apart, and they're actually better apart than they are together, like some of your families. It's like you get together on the holidays, and you only wish you didn't have to get together on the holidays because they create these below-the-line moments. And so, anyway, he encounters his family again, and again, we're going to go there over the next two months, and we're going to see him go through an emotional ups and downs in the brokenness and the dysfunctionality of his own family. And for chapters, we're going to see that brokenness be reconciled. But I'll tell you right now, when it starts, it starts below the line. But beautiful thing happens. Freedom comes out on the other side. And I'm not going to tell you that, 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 that story yet because there's a beautiful thing that happens because it's not just Joseph's story. It's God's story in Joseph. And that's a big difference. That is a difference maker. It's not just Joseph's story. It's God's story in Joseph because if you're just writing your story, then you only get what you write. But if God's writing your story, and this is going to be a common theme in, the, in the, all the hills and the valleys and the ups and the downs that he's going to go through, the pluses and the minuses and the, and the, and the negatives, and so you, we're going to see this common thread that's going to run through this whole storyline of Joseph, and that's going to be that God is working in his circumstance no matter what. And even though he's in deep, dark pain that he didn't bring on himself, he's a victim to that, even the, in the pain he's going to experience God. And you think, oh, wait, 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 wait. If Joseph is really a good guy, he wouldn't be experiencing the pain because God doesn't want us to suffer. How many times have I heard that? God doesn't want me to suffer. God wants me to be happy. As if the number one goal in in God's divine cosmos is to make you happy, you are living a bad theology. If you're happy, you're happy. You're not happy. Doesn't mean that God's not on the throne. Let's unpack this a little bit as we get in to the story. Let's look at chapter 37. When Joseph comes on the scene, it's the 11th book. If you have been reading through uh, Genesis with us, it's the 11th book within a book uh, because it says in the very first chapter. Chapter 37, verse 2, it says, And the generations of Jacob. That's the 11th time generations of comes up. It's the generations of Abraham. It's the generations of Adam. It's the generations of Seth. There's so many different generational books within this book. 11 books. Now, if you want to take Genesis and divide it and understand it from 50 chapters that we've been studying since January, you might look at it as one-third one-third, one-third. First one-third is creation, from the creation of Adam and Eve to the, to the Tower of Babel. That's the first third. That's 2,000 years at minimum. And that's if you go young earth, okay? If you go in the middle of it, the middle third are what we call the patriarchs. It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We just finished looking at the, their lives. The last third is the life of Joseph. Now, the thing is, is that the first third was 2,000 years. The last third, 93 years. 
And literally, when you think about it, he's going to give so much time and attention. There is more written about this, about, about Joseph in the, in the course of these verses and these chapters than any other character in the story of Genesis. More than Adam, more than Noah, more than Abraham, Joseph. Why? I think there's a lot of reasons why. But one of those reasons why is we get a real-life picture of a person who experiences God's plan and life's pain. And how do we reconcile those together? Because it's really hard when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, when you're doing the right good thing, when you're doing the next best thing, you're taking your next step of obedience and pain comes, brokenness hits you, you become a victim. We get to see that in the life of Joseph. And so I want us to see it and try to reconcile it, but we're going to have to look at it through two different angles. We're going to look at it through the angle of, 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 of Joseph's life and, uh, and through God's eyes. Okay, let's, look, let's go back to our passage of Scripture. And this is it. And Joseph, being 17 years old, just remember that. So you can take Joseph's story and you can break it into thirds as well. And the first 17 years of his life, he's now a teenager. Everything that we're going to read about today will happen most likely in one or two year periods. So he's still a teenager. But what we're going to explain today about the level of pain that he's going to experience, there's some teenagers that are in this room that have experienced similar pains. There's some adults in this room that when they were teenagers, they experienced this level of pain. Joseph, being 17, was pastoring the flock of, uh, with his brothers. He was a boy, the sons of Belah and Zelpha, and his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to them, uh, uh, of them to their father. Basically, he's a tattletale, okay? Now, nothing wrong with that. He was bringing truth, okay? They must have been doing something wrong. We don't know what they were doing wrong, but he brought truth to them. How do the brothers respond to that? Now, Israel, Israel is um, is Joseph. If you uh, Jacob, if you remember, his name was changed. His character was changed. Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. Maybe because he trusted him more. Maybe because he was honest with him. Maybe he, because he brought truth to 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 a dark situation. Because he was the son of the old, uh, of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. You've heard of Jacob's coat of many colors, probably just a wool blend jacket with grays and whites and maybe some dyed is the best estimation. It's the only time it's mentioned. But yet this coat of many colors becomes a symbol of favoritism, a symbol of love that, he, that, that Jacob dad has for son Joseph that he doesn't have for anybody else. But when his brother saw His father loved him more than all the brothers. They hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. I want us to look at this passage today, and I want us to see some some dark spots. But I want us to get some angles on God's plan and our pain and how do we reconcile them. Here's the first angle that we need to see, we need to look at. And that is God's plan does not exclude pain. Does not exclude pain. I know it. It sounds really awkward when you, when, you, when you think that God's way, I'm doing the right thing, and yet I'm experiencing pain. I hate to say it, it's the fallen, broken world we live in. 
It's when, when Matthew, Matthew records Jesus saying it like this, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. Listen, going the Jesus way, being an apprentice of Jesus, going and saying no to things you want to say yes to and yes to things you want to say no to and, and doing what Jesus would want us to do, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult, but the, it, it leads to life, I promise you, and few there be that find it. Why? Because it's hard. There's not going to be a lot of people who are going to really walk the Jesus walk because it's hard. It's difficult. In fact, Paul uses this same word for hard. He uses this, and he uses it, and it's translated afflicted in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. We were afflicted. Now, this is the way missionary Paul, obedient Paul, describes his life. I'm afflicted in every way, but not crushed. I'm perplexed. I'm not driven to despair. I'm persecuted, but not forsaken. I'm struck down, but not destroyed. He says, I'm experiencing a lot of brokenness. I'm experiencing a lot of pain. I'm experiencing persecution. Why? Why is it that that God's way does not exclude pain? Moses was dealing with this as he's leading the people of Israel out of their Egyptian captivity 400 and something years later from where we're at today. And it says this, it says, in the way you're going, you are going over to possess a land of hills and valleys. You know, there are times that you and I will go through mountaintop experiences, we'll see beautiful vistas, and there are times that we will go through the valley of the shadow of death, and God will lead us through it. It's going to be tough, and it's going to be painful. God's plan does not exclude pain. We see this in this Joseph, the dreamer's life. When you look at Joseph and he tells his story here, he goes on and we see that he's a dreamer. And he literally is called the dreamer because six different times in the narrative of Joseph, he's either having a dream and interpreting it or he's interpreting somebody else's dream, even right up to Pharaoh. So this is like, he's a dreamer. He's an interpreter of dreams. God speaks through dreams and God speaks to him in a dream. Now, notice what the response is from the brothers. Verse 5, and Joseph had a dream. God's giving him his plan. And when he told his brothers, what did his brothers do? They hated him even more. He said to them, hear the dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we're, we're binding sheaves. And he uses the earth example, and then and he's going to see another dream. He's going to use the heavenly examples, uh, metaphors here. He says, I'm binding the sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaves rose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves, he spoke to his brothers, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. We got to remember this. This is a pecking order in Hebrew culture. Oldest gets the most, then the second, then the. F- There's like 12 brothers, and who's number 11? Joseph. He's going to get the crumbs off the table. But he just had a dream that God is going to put him to the top. This is like so wrong. It's wrong on every front. His brothers are livid with him. The fact that you would come and say you had this dream, and the fact that you'd say that we'd bow down to you, you feel the animosity in the text. And his brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to, to rule over us? So 
They hated him even more. You see a common theme here? They hated him. They hated him even more. They hated him even more. They can't get enough. There's so much hate in there. They, they're like hater. They're drinking a hater aid. I mean, they, they are just full of it. They, 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 and they can't get enough of it. Here's the thing about hate and anger and rage. I want you to hear this. Most of us that deal with anger, most of us that deal with hate, most of us that deal with rage, that's not the main problem. There's a deeper level to the why. And you've got to ask why. Why am I feeling so much anger right now? Why am I feeling so much hate and angst? And the brothers, it goes on to reveal exactly what's going on. The brothers were jealous of him in chapter 37, verse 11. They were jealous of him. So why the hatred? Why? Because they were jealous. Why the jealousy? Because you keep asking why. Why the jealousy? Because dad had a favorite and they weren't the favorites. They were less than. Why that? Because Joseph, grew, Jacob grew up in a home where he was not the favorite. So you see here, generationally, there's a lot of why questions that you can ask whenever you come to emotions that are raw and real and broken. Why am I angry? Jealous. Why am I jealous? Because jealousy is because there's favoritism. Why is there favoritism? Because that's what dad grew up in. That's what Abraham showed some favoritism to Isaac. And Isaac showed some favoritism um, uh, to, to Esau. And Rebekah showed some favoritism to, um, to Jacob. And, and by the way, Joseph is going to show some favoritism to Ephraim. That's called what I said a few weeks ago, generational sins. When you live in a pattern that you didn't even realize you were living in because that's all you've lived in all of your life. And that's the value of our life story as we begin to look at it. We go, oh, wow, there's a pattern here that's going on. There's a pattern of brokenness, of jealousy. Joseph was, the patriarchs, it says in Acts 7, 9, it says the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph. Jealousy is probably not on your top ten list of sins. You might put adultery, murder. You might put some other things in there. But I want to challenge you. Jealousy and envy, it's a rage inside of people that it will control them. The very first murder in the Bible, Cain killed Abel because he was jealous, because God approved of his offering, but not of his. Jealousy. Killed a lot of marriages, killed a lot of people's careers because they didn't get the promotion. Other people got the promotion. Kills a lot of our joy. Song of Solomon says it'll even get into your marriage. Jealousy is as fierce as the grave. It literally will kill. Jealousy kills. And that's what's going on in the life of these guys. Now, the jealousy doesn't just end with them getting angry. And it's one thing to feel the emotion of jealousy and anger. It's another thing to act on it. And what you see next is them acting on their jealousy, them acting on their rage, them acting it out. And you're going to see this 17-year-old boy experience some deep-level pains from his family. Let me just say this about abuse. You know where most abuse happens? With family. Most pain happens from those that 
we're supposed to love the most. Those that we're supposed to trust. It happens in churches from those we're supposed to trust. It happens with coaches and teachers at school from those we're supposed to trust. It's what happens to the young 17-year-old boy here is some darkness. I want to list these out to you in kind of rapid fire. You read them for yourself. They're all in chapter 37. They're all located in, the, in, in these verses, primarily chapter uh, verse 12 to verse 36. There's 11 points of pain in Joseph's life that he's going to experience. One, he's going to experience the partiality of parents, the favoritism of parents. Again, Isaac experienced it with Esau. Rebekah did it with Jacob. Jacob's going to do it with Joseph. Joseph will do it with Ephraim. It's a cycle of sin that's happening in this family that until somebody says, wait, 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 we're not doing it now. We have to rise up and say, this is stopping right here and right now. Jealousy happens in verse 11. Uh, verse 4 and 8, uh, you see hatred that is, that is growing. We pointed some of that out already. There's an antagonistic relationship between them that one rejects the other. There's a bullying and a name-calling. They call him the dreamer, and that's kind of in a bully kind of fashion. Uh, they're bullying him by torturing him. They put him in a pit in the desert and leave him to die. How long will it take you to die in the desert if you don't have water? I, I was curious myself when I looked this up because he was in the desert and they put him in a pit where it says the Bible says there was no water. And there were some people that in uh, 2015, a French couple hiking in New Mexico near the White Sands National Park died within an hour because they got out of their car, started hiking and didn't take water with them. One hour you can be dead. First you start hallucinating you get lost, you get disoriented. Then your body begins to overheat. And then you might begin to convulse. And then you fall down because you can't go any further. Literally, you curl up in a fetus position and die. How gross is that? Well, if you look at the passage, it says in chapter 37, verse 22 and 24, it says, Throw him into a pit here in the wilderness. And they took him and they threw him into a pit. And the pit was empty and there was no water in it. Realize that they were not only wanting him to die, they wanted to torture him. That is a level of bullying. Number seven, they plot his murder. Verse 18, they abandon him. Verse 23 and 24, they sexually exploit him. They strip him naked. They take his clothes off of him to leave him in an unsafe environment. Listen, I can't tell you the number of people that I'm having conversations with that things happened in their life when they were younger, that they repressed, that comes out later on when they get married or later on in life, and they just pushed it down for years. And it breaks my heart. But number 10... They traffic him. His own brothers sell him to the Ishmaelites who then take him down to Egypt and sell him again. He becomes a commodity to be traded. Listen, this is something that's as real today as it's ever been. In fact, there are more people in slavery today than there were in 1860. It's estimated that 25 million people uh, were in slavery at that time. 
Well, according to AGM, that there are now 40 million slaves in our land. One in four are children around the world. $150 million, billion dollar industry is what we're talking about. In a few weeks, we're going to have with us um, some of our ministry partners from Greece that we've been working for Greece for a number of years. And they're going to be telling us about Hagar Ministries that they're launching, about the work that they're doing because all these refugees that we've been working with for years, they've been coming from Afghanistan, Iran, and Iraq, through Syria, Syrian refugees coming through Turkey, getting as fast as they can to the first free country in the European Union, which is what? Greece. They will risk their lives crossing the Aegean Sea to get there. They get on the shores, and then they're, what is left for them to do? Many of them end up in a trafficking world, and our Greek partners are going to be here to share it on September the 19th. Mark it down and be here. The last one, this all happens in the brokenness and the dysfunctionality of this family. There's family secrets. They tell a story. They get a story. And they live that story for the next 20 years. How many family secrets are covered up, covered over, that just create pain from one generation to the next? God's plan doesn't exclude pain. I wish I could say, I mean, Mike, Mike, this is heavy. We're talking about breaking free, not with some kitty chains. We're talking about deep chains that some people are carrying, wounds that people are, ha- are carrying. But here's, here's the good news. Here's the, here's the hope today. Just as much as God's plan doesn't exclude pain, our pain doesn't exclude God. God wants to be in our pain. He wants, Jesus specifically, wants to bring peace to your pain. He says, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. In this world, you're going to have trouble. In this world, there's going to be a hot mess out there, a dumpster fire, and you're going to feel it. But notice the, the phrase there. He says, I want you to have peace. Jesus came that, so in the midst of the brokenness of our world, we can find peace and peace in him. Notice in, this is chapter 37. Skip over chapter 38. You talk about PG-13 material, read 38 on your own for devotional thoughts this week. Uh, and you'll know where I'm talking about. It's the most awkward passage in all of Genesis. It's like a parenthetical statement in the middle of the Joseph narrative. We start with Joseph, we go to Tamar and, and Judah, and then we go back to Joseph. And we pick up right where we left off. But notice this. In spite of all of that brokenness, those 11 points of pain that Joseph went through before he was 18 years of age, notice where God was. When Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer in Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, the Egyptian who brought, who bought him from the Ishmaelites, second time he's traded, Ishmaelites had brought him down there. Notice the next statement. The Lord was with Joseph. That's no small statement. Don't just skip over that one. How are you going to survive the pain of your life? The pain of life? You will not survive it 
I say, without the presence of God in your life. Then he goes on to say, it was not only evident in himself, but it was evident to those around him. The Lord was with Joseph and became a successful man. And he was in the house of the Egyptian master. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. So it was not only clear inside of the peace and the serenity that Joseph had in the midst of all the pain, but it was clear to those outside. But outside of him, those people were looking at Joseph and said, I don't know what it is about this man, but I just bought him. And he's a, he's a slave and I just made him mine. But there's a serenity, there's a peace about him that I can't explain. Potiphar was not a Yahweh worshiper. But he is seeing and witnessing the work of God inside of him. And I can go on and spoiler alert, chapter 50 is where it all ends, the Genesis story. And in chapter 50, when Joseph is finally has the opportunity to really even the score with his brothers, because Jacob is now dead, he has a chance to even the scores. Notice what happens. He doesn't. Because in that moment, whenever his brothers were shaking in their sandals, He says this, what they, what you, intended for evil, God intended for good. See, somehow in the midst of all of this, and we're going to see it as we see the story of Joseph lived out, he had a bigger picture. He saw that God was up to something. Yes, there's brokenness out there. I'm not going to try to even the score. I challenge you, as you take these next few months weeks together in the story of breaking free as Joseph did. Don't do it alone. (laughs) You will not do this alone. You need to find a counselor friend, a safe person that you can uh, confide in. But I'll say this, good things happen in rows, but the best thing happens in circles. God does his best work when we're in circles. And we are asking a lot of our small groups over the next few weeks, in the weeks uh, beginning in September, to jump into a series that Dr. Henry Cloud, a psychologist, Christian psychologist, is produced and is brought to churches, and it's called Churches That Heal. And if you want to be a part of a church that heals, we want to be, a, we want to be a, that church that heals, then please be a part of a group. It's five weeks. Give your time. Be a part of it. You be a part of a group. It's a healing group, and you work through this together. You can... Sign up for that and be a part of that. I want to give you two action points, and I'm finished. How is it that I reconcile the pain of life, my pain, with God's plan? One, live in the discipline of darkness. Live in the discipline of darkness. That's not my phrase. I borrowed that from a book that somebody in the church gave me. It's an out-of-print book printed in 1942. It's out-of-print today. They found one for me. They gave it to me. It's called The Disciplines of Life by Raymond Edmond. And he talks about how we all as followers of Jesus will go through dark, dark seasons. Things when we're saying, that doesn't make sense. They lied to me. They cheated me. They hurt me. They, 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 they inflicted. I'm a victim. And you're going to go, God, why did, you, why did you let this happen? And what we can do in that season is just continue on in the disciplines of the faith in the darkness of that day. Jeremiah was misunderstood and misrepresented. Nehemiah 
had rumors spread about him and his motives uh, in check and tried to sabotage the work. Job was considered a righteous person above reproach, but yet he lost it all. Paul was shipwrecked, beaten, and left for dead, yet he continued to take the gospel to the last and the least reached peoples of the earth. Live in the discipline of darkness. Number two, lean on the Lord's light. When you're in the darkness and you can't see the hand in front of your face, the best thing you can do is look for the light of God. When I say that, I know that sounds real Christian-y platitude Please listen to me. As I've written out my life story and I've got the hills and the valleys and I've got the below the water lines and I've got the above the water line moments, you know what I learned the most in? You know where I've seen God work the greatest in? You know where I've seen more miracles that we just sang about? It's not been in above the line. It's been in below the line. Those moments when it's been just darkness and pain. And I literally, I went through them this week. I counted up five different seasons way below the line. And I go, God, you did this. You provided that. You were with me in that. You put this person in my life. You were that resource in my life when I had nothing. Write your story because what you're going to see is you're going to see God is with you if you have a relationship with Jesus. The summary of Joseph's life told 2,000 years after Joseph's life is in Acts 7 uh, 7 verse 9. I read it earlier. I read you only part of it. And the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph. They sold him into slavery. You see the pain. You see the darkness. But notice the next statement. Say it with me. But God was with him. Can you say in your below-the-line moments that God is with you? God is with Joseph in in, in such a way that whenever you look at the life of Joseph and you look at the life of Jesus, there are so much parallels. Let me show you this slide. There's a love for the Father. They both had a special love for the Father. They both were hated and rejected. They both were rejected by the rulers. They both were stripped of their robes. They both were targets of conspiracy. They both were... Jesus is God and He's... Jesus was sold for silver. Joseph was sold for silver. He was condemned even though he was innocent. He was the means of life and salvation for a people just like Jesus is the means and life of salvation. Joseph shows forgiveness just like Jesus was dying on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Joseph lived the gospel. How are we able to reconcile pain and, and God's plan is because we experience the pain and but we also experience Jesus. I close with this verse. In the dark moments, light dawns in the darkness. Psalm 1 12, verse 4, light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. He is merciful. It's not getting what you do deserve. He is righteous. It's having the righteous standard bearer of Jesus in your life that gives you hope. When you look at your life above the line, below the line, can you clearly see and experience? Have you clearly seen and experienced Jesus in those moments?
If not, right where you are, bow your heads with me, everyone, right where you are, say, Jesus, I need you. Say in your heart, you can vocalize it out loud, Jesus, I need you, I want you in my above-the-line moments, God, and in my below-the-line moments, God. In my pain, God, I need you in your plan for my life. I need Jesus, I don't want to live another day without you. Be the light of my darkness and turn this crazy mess around. You say your own prayer in those own in your own way, put your own ending on that prayer. And if you say yes to Jesus today and you've never said yes to Jesus before, I want to I want to know. Come tell me, come find me, come see me. Let's talk about what next looks like. Father God, in this space, in this time, would you begin a process in every one of us of setting us free, breaking the things that have paralyzed us. Set us free. Turn it around. In the name of Jesus, we pray.